it's slowing down. It's like a slingshot. I always use the analogy. It's like you, when you pull a slingshot back, it gets tighter and tighter and tighter and tighter, and it gets more difficult to pull. And it feels like you're going nowhere and actually going backwards. But as soon as you let go of that slingshot, you know you go flying forward at a at a rapid pace. Hello and welcome to another edition of Expedition Business, where we talk to inspiring entrepreneurs about the highs and lows of their business journey and how on earth they managed to keep the flame of business adventure burning. My name is Christelle Rosley Fenter, your host and the one lucky enough to be talking to Sebastian Daniels, founder of Ground Culture. But before I introduce Sebastian to you, I would like to remind you to subscribe, like, comment and share this podcast with as many of your friends and family. Without your help, we cannot continue to share the amazing stories of our South African entrepreneurs such as Sebastian. Sebastian Daniels is an entrepreneur in heart and soul, passionate about connecting, supporting and expanding informal businesses. He is the CEO and founder of Ground Culture, a company that works to connect businesses from the informal market to the formal sector. Sebastian, welcome to Expedition Business. Hi, Christelle. Thank you very much for having me. It is such an amazing privilege to be speaking to you with everything that you've done so far. Hopefully, our listeners can get a feel of all the amazing work that you've done so far and yes it is quite expensive but something that i would like to know is what or who inspired you to get involved in the informal entrepreneurial environment yeah it's a good good interesting question to, to start with and and it actually comes from my parents uh, i grew up in in a home of two journalists uh-huh. my mom a tv journalist for sabc and my dad was a, a writer for the Sunday Times, Week in August, and just about every paper in the country over their, their years. Um, and I think that that, that um, gave me a very different lens in life. You know, I, I went to Rondebosch Boys, uh, quite a, a very good school, and majority of my school was, was white. And we lived a very different life to what I saw on the TV every evening. And in my holidays, I would go and follow my mom around because she'd be at work. And I report on her stories with her. Or at least I'd join the protest while she mm-hmm. reported on the stories. Okay. And, and that kind of gave me a very big contrast of the differences in South Africa. Um, on one side, I went to a school where I lived a completely first world life. And on the other side, I was totally exposed to all the problems going on in the country. And I think growing up, I struggled with that. I, I didn't quite understand it. And when I found out about Steve Beaker um, in, in history class in grade 11, I, I fell completely in love with with the idea of black consciousness and, and the idea of um, uniting people together through a common purpose. And I think that kind of belief has driven me to go and explore the township and go and explore what is happening. Why are we not getting? And 
yeah, how, how can we integrate? Because we live in the, the freedom nation, but, but still we struggle to, to integrate and actually be free together. Um, so that really was the, the catalyst for pushing me to, to go and um, explore the townships. And when I said I wanted to do that, my parents were very much like, yeah, go. Um, just be careful and, and just have you back. But you live in a new country, which was very different to, to, to the rest of my friends. I mean, a lot of my friends still haven't been to the township. And that I went to school with at least, which which I still struggle to to comprehend. But mm. um, yeah, that's what pushed me in that direction. Okay, and your father also had a big influence in you getting involved in the coffee scene. Yeah, I mean that's so uh, he 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 got dementia and diagnosed with dementia just after I finished um, matric. And that was quite a hard bullet to bite. It's, it's a crazy disease. Um, beautiful in some ways, but, but really difficult in other ways in the sense that you start to lose your mind and, and I, I wouldn't be able to connect with him. I, he didn't forget who I was, but I asked him everything about his past and I kind of struggled with that going into my 20s. When you're a teenager, you very much uh, just, you know, you, you, you just want to be away from your parents you want to kind of you don't want to listen to them but when you get into your 20s you actually start to seek guidance and advice from your parents and as i started to seek guidance and advice from my dad he he um struggled to give it to me because because of his dementia um and as a way to connect with him um he he before that he wrote um um he wrote a, a hotel review column or breakfast review column for the Sunday Times called Sunny Side or Sunday Weekend August, sorry, mm -hmm. called Sunny Side Up, um, yes. which featured for years. And it was quite a cult classic. All the restaurants and hotels would put these reviews up in their, on their wall. And this is obviously before the advent of, of internet. So mm -hmm. that's where people got their, their review columns. And it was a big, big success. And as a way to connect with them, I... I I started writing restaurant reviews and I took him along to to all the the restaurants with me and I'd try to connect and ask questions. Um, and yeah, that's actually where the business that is ground culture these days began um, because I wanted to start something from nothing. I'd also just come from a, a previous business mm. called uh, Year Two or yes. Stockfeller. yes. Um, which was an amazing success at, at its height. It was a university project where we wanted to solve the, well, we wanted to scale Stockwells, um, which are traditional saving schemes. Yeah. And they say 45 billion rand every year GDP, but the money just circulates and it's completely untracked, at least to the formal sector. And we felt that was a shame because that's a full on banking system of the mm -hmm. informal economy. Um, but yeah, just before I dive into that, that had uh, we had massive success of that. Pitched to all the banks in South Africa, and won multiple pitching competitions. Uh, flew to London to pitch in the global pitching competitions. Raised five hundred thousand just winning competitions and had four investment off the table. But when we launched, we we just got our market wrong. We we kind of got too involved in the formal sector and forgot about actually our participants and members in the informal economy, and that yeah, we just just got it wrong. So that kind of came crashing down. 
my ex-girlfriend of seven years broke up with me. Oh. My grandfather died. My, yeah, my dad got diagnosed with dementia all at the same, and I finished university all at the same time within a four months period. And that's when I decided to start from absolutely nothing and build a business in the way someone in the township would build a business with no access to formal resources and starting from nothing in your parents' house. And mm. it, additionally, it was a great way to, to engage with, with my dad. And so, yeah, that, that's kind of where where that journey started or well, one ended and another started. Mm-hmm. Okay. And your experience through Yetu, does that help you today? Um, yes, definitely. I think, I think, I think it, it's still an avenue I'd, I want to go back into. I think there's so much potential in the informal economy in terms of scaling those kind of businesses. And some stats report that stockfall earnings or contributions have grown to 65 billion in the last 10 years. So it's very much a growing economy, but it's, it's growing within isolation um, of the informal economy. Um, and it, it is banked to these days, but there's no vehicles behind the the kind of access to formal resources. So, I mean, it, it connected me to a massive um, group of people I call friends these days who who come out with me in the informal, I mean, in the in the formal economy. Mm-hmm. Um, but but yeah, a lot of it, I yeah, I opened me to the informal economy. But, but yeah, it is, I, I'm in a very different sector these days in, in kind of small business development um, that I do, it does help me, but there's also a big part of me that would love to go back into that industry and, and really scale it, try to scale something again. Okay, but at the moment, you are very much involved with ground culture. Do you want to tell us a little bit about what ground culture does? And how yeah. it's got to be doing what it's doing today. So like I said, uh, I following the, the kind of failures of, mm-hmm. of the past and, and diving too deep into something without building a proper foundation, um, as well as not really understanding the market, well, assuming you understand the market without continuing to understand the market, if that makes sense. Uh-huh. Um, I wanted to build ground culture in a new way from, from the ground up, like I said, with no access to proper formal resources to really get an idea of what the entrepreneur within the informal economy um, struggles with and, and try, I mean, I do have certain privileges that, that I can use that an informal entrepreneur couldn't, but I really wanted to understand what those privileges were and, and how exactly um, they affect us and how, how exactly we can share them. So, yeah, I started by writing coffee shop reviews. I did that for a year. Um, I wrote 130 coffee shop reviews on, um, yeah, on independent coffee shops in South Africa and built a website so people could, could find them. And they had, where they had Wi-Fi, parking, plug points, photos, ratings, um, and, and yeah, obviously nice written pieces were quite funky. At the same time, I was working a, a consulting project for UCT mm-hmm. on Stockfiles. I was building data sets for, um, for the law faculty. Um, yeah, I interviewed 20 Stockfiles for an hour long. And I did my thesis in university on the same thing, which we got the class medal for. Okay. Um, 
Yeah, so stock files are still a big part in understanding, and I've done a few consulting projects since. But that really allowed me to go to Kailicha all the time. So I made a commitment following this that I would go to Kailicha once a week, every week, until I really started to gain a grip of what's going on. And I did that for two years up until COVID. So at the same time, I was going to Kailicha and working on the stock file. Um, research project, I was building the business coffee shop Blues, which eventually became Ground Culture. Um, and I reviewed all these coffee shops. I did that for a year. Quite exhausting. A lot of fun, uh-huh. a lot of caffeine. <laughs> um, and then, then in the second year, my my Stockfall um, consulting job came to an end and I really wanted to to find a way to, turn, to create a business model. So I started... I've met a few entrepreneurs in Kailicha, the one being a honey supplier. His name is Omsakoli Zalani. Mm-hmm. And I said, listen, man, I, I've got 130 coffee shops. I've met the owners. I've interviewed them. Um, and I, I'm sure they'd buy your honey. I'm sure they put it on your shelf. Um, so with him and a few other entrepreneurs, I, I started going door to door to all the coffee shops I'd, I'd visited. I, I did that for another year. And I built up 75 coffee shops that built a range of bought a, a range of products from six entrepreneurs that I worked with. Um, and the highlight of that was Obusi Honey, who mm-hmm. grew from 25 kilograms a month, which would he, he was selling to his in, to Kailicha and a few other areas around there, to 250 kilograms in just 10 wow. months. And for me, that was a huge, huge statistic that that really showcased the value that the formal sector can can play in developing informal Mm. Um, product and while I did do a lot to go door to door and get it in I also realized it's not me necessarily people love the product people Mm. love the idea of supporting the township they're just often privileged people don't get the chance to do it it's Mm. not often you see a product like that on the shelf and I felt that was a huge problem Um, because that's kind of the thing stopping us is that there's these huge disparities between the formal economy and the informal economy um, and there's very little linkage between the two um, the formal sector has made some strides to get into the formal informal sector but the other way is not really the informal economy is not making big strides in getting into the formal economy and and that seems like a problem to me because you, you need to build businesses in the, in the townships. You need to have entrepreneurs that are scaling businesses, building factories, um, investing in infrastructure, um, bringing financial institutions to lend money there, building track records. And, and that's not going to happen unless we're building businesses that are selling to the formal sector in the informal sector, if that makes sense to you. Absolutely. Um, yeah. So, okay. But obviously... Getting people like Abusi Honey to more um, companies that can buy his product is only one part of it. Things like logistics, do you get involved with that as well? Yeah, so that's, I've, I've got that written down here. That's one of the big problems. Um, we, we do get involved in logistics in terms of um, we, will, we will deliver everything from a central point from our side so instead of you having to go door to door to door or or to reach out to people we we have a central spot that you can drop your place and we'll take it from there getting to the township is still a big trouble because it is 
thirty to forty kilometers away from Cape Town, mm-hmm. um, which is expensive for 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 any business to run for for just one trip. So that's kind of a big part of of solutions we need to solve. But it's it's just a bit too big for us to do right now. It, to 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 try solve the whole problem of of building um yeah yeah like the delivery systems from Kalicha to to we're an observatory to observatory uh-huh. is a long way but what we do try to do is get entrepreneurs to work together um so if we're ordering from five entrepreneurs in Kalicha we try to get those entrepreneurs to to um to to just use one car to get you mm. or just mm rely on one entrepreneur or try try shift it over time but that's also a struggle mm. and there's also inbuilt um competition between entrepreneurs in in the informal sector and in the formal sector but yeah it has its challenges but yeah we've kind of shifted away a bit from the wholesale model and um, not necessarily by choice but by covid uh-huh. um because <laughs> we were doing that really did well we, like i said got up to 75 coffee shops and um, yeah, selling about 20 products made by six entrepreneurs, but then COVID hits and all the coffee shops closed. Mm-hmm. Um, and yeah, as an entrepreneur, I had to keep, I had to keep food on my table as well. So I had a bit of grant funding from the SAB foundation. Um, and I used that to build an online store called ground culture. Mm-hmm. And, and that's really where the, the shift happened and built that in three weeks during lockdown I actually loved lockdown. It was an amazing time. Uh-huh. Just focus on one thing. <laughs> and, and I really just fell in love with the, the concept of an online store for township-based products um, because that creates access, you know. Mm-hmm. And at the time, we still were still focusing on small businesses. So I had, a, I had about six township-based entrepreneurs and about six uh, formal sector businesses. And we launched and we got 100 orders in the first month. And that was fantastic. Um, and then we continued to, to grow, but over the next four months, kind of, I think we, we gained quite a lot because none of the formal retailers were equipped yet for online deliveries. But as they got equipped for as sixty sixty and the Pick and Pay Bottles app and Woolworths, um, Woolworths' online store, they all kind of built infrastructure to catch up to the, to the overload of, of customers. We struggled because we didn't have the selection that the the other guys that the, these formal retailers had, and we, we found people that only came down to buying a few products. So we had spinach, red, amazing seller, honey continued to be amazing seller, a coffee and some biscuits. But other than that, we now had to bring on. We started. I mean, we had like over a hundred products, and when you're only selling six consistently, it mm-hmm. became quite a challenge to to do that. So. We shifted again, more in a defensive move, and we opened a coffee shop in observatory. Mm-hmm. Um, and these are the lessons that, that are it, they're hard bullets to bite sometimes because I, I, I like scaling things. Mm-hmm. But this is what a township entrepreneur has to do. It's not a straight-cut path at all, especially when you don't have funding. You need to do things that are going to keep food on the table, um, not necessarily things that, that are going to promote your long-term and I think this is the key point that the formal sector doesn't always understand about township-based businesses is you got to put food on the table. It's, 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 that's your primary objective, you know, and, and you got no backup plan. Um, but we, we opened this coffee shop. My dad 
had passed away a year previously and he left me 50,000 rand. So I bought a coffee machine and five tables and 10 chairs. We started um, pretty much from scratch again in some senses. Online still kept going, um, but yeah, we kind of shifted focus and that kind of really deteriorated the online store. I think it's another lesson is when you spread yourself wide, you, you do lose as well. And mm. um, you 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 take your eye off the the prize and you you start yeah you start something else again which which is a big lesson I have to continuously teach myself, um but yeah I think that's that that's a business basically started again that was two and a half years ago, and that was my real big learning from building as a as a township best uh, as far as I could relate to a township company because I. I only had 50,000 rand. That was it. And that's already a huge privilege. But over the course, I, I bought a drill as well. And I took any scrap wood from friends. I took any any kind of donations from any friends. And that, again, is another privilege because I had friends that had things to give, um, which is this thing. And, yeah, over the last two years, we built an amazing coffee shop in observatory that's really become a, a community hub. And we've got a lot of people that come there. We've got a great place to showcase our products. Um, yeah, we keep growing. We keep building a, a really eclectic, um, diverse bunch of, of customers. Um, and it's a great space that we can now host events to actually engage people on these topics and to talk about um, the struggles of, of, of township-based entrepreneurs and to bring township-based entrepreneurs into the conversation um, directly through an observatory is just such a great place mm -hmm. because it is so diverse in itself. Um, and okay. yeah, and, and now we're in the, well, we've got it. And then lastly, we've got, a, got an opportunity to start a co-working space as well. We've got a good deal on a, on a lease upstairs. So we've got a 300 meter, 300 square meter co-working space, which has 14 desks and two offices. And it's pretty much fully rented at the moment. So what that does as well is brings in some really great, um, expertise from we've got accountants lawyers graphic designers um seo specialists you really got a great wealth of of knowledge in in the top um or yeah in the co-working space and and they pay monthly rental so we've really built a nice stability now and i talked about building foundations these are the foundations we've built and and now we're in the process of relaunching our our online store and, and really starting to actually scale now because we've got a foundation that if we fail in our scalings, we can fall back onto. Um, and, and yeah, and that's, that's one thing I'm, I'm incredibly proud of. Well, something that comes through to me is falling back on starting from scratch. You are, sounds like you're pretty much an expert in that field. <laughs> yeah, so it's not something you'd be too proud of necessarily of failing and falling back and, and I think it's quite a hard bullet to bite especially when you see your I mean I finished university seven years ago and, and I think the hardest bullet to bite is looking at your corporate friends mm. and I study finance at UCT at the business side and business science and seeing where they are now and mm. It's like, yeah, and this is kind of advice I'd give to entrepreneurs that want to be entrepreneurs but have a university degree. It's like sometimes I think it is better to just go get the stable job, learn the company structure, earn a good paycheck, work your way up the company. Don't necessarily take on too much debt, but then look at a, at a, um, 
at starting something. If you're not 100% committing the next five to 10 years to doing something, um, because you probably are going to fail. You probably are going to have to restart. And it's, it's really, it's, 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 it's great in hindsight when you write a book about it when you're 50. But mm-hmm. <laughs> in the six years that you have to do it, and you have to start and restart and start and reset and build the confidence up. I think that's the biggest thing we don't always factor in is the confidence knock that it gives to you personally um, is very difficult to rebuild. Uh, it's, it's, not always, um, it's not always just the fact of rebuilding a thing. You need to rebuild yourself as well. Mm-hmm. Um, and yeah. So how do you do the rebuilding of yourself? Sure, I'm still figuring that one out. But um, <laughs> no, I, I think it also comes with taking pressure off yourself. Um, and I, I think, like like I said, around building foundations, like when you do build foundations, it allows you to take the pressure off yourself. Because kind of now I'm at the point where like, I, I, I've just come back from America. I just got the opportunity to go to, on a fellowship. And where I just, I learned a whole lot of that. It's still a lot of processing, but I was able to go away for two months and my business continued fine, you know, without me. In fact, it actually grew while I was away. Okay. Um, and, you know, I, while I'm still at the stage, I'm, I, the online store is where I want to be because that's where I can scale the difference to the township. And that's where my passion is. And that's what I want to build. We've got 35 entrepreneurs now. That we've identified from Soweto, Kailiche, Kaimandi, um, Guguletu, uh, Tempisa, uh, so all over the mainly Cape Town and, and Johannesburg. But like that's where I want to be building. But but I think also not beating yourself up too much, that and letting yourself just take a breather and mm. and recalibrate and and actually just. Um, sit down and figure out how to find balance. And now that you've got the opportunity to slow down, maybe you're not exactly where you want to be. Maybe you're not exactly there, but, but slowing down, it's like a slingshot. I always use the analogy. It's like you, when you pull a slingshot back, it gets tighter and tighter and tighter and tighter. And it gets more difficult to pull when it feels like you're going nowhere and you're actually going backwards. But as soon as you let go of that slingshot, you know, you go flying forward at a, at a rapid pace. So make sure you pull that thing all the way back because if you don't pull it far enough back, you it's not going to go very far forward. You know? mm-hmm. Sebastian, I just want to come back quickly to your discussion on going for a corporate job, maybe first. If you started in the corporate field and you got this big salary, would you ever have gone out into the entrepreneurial field? <laughs> yeah, that's, I was having this debate with a friend yesterday because actually my co-founder from from year two, um, because he went that way. He he actually he, he we both failed, and his way was to go work on the yachts. He'd also just finished university, and he worked on the yachts for two months, and he came back and he put a deposit on the house, and he 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 then went and now is working a corporate job, and is like a very great um company his name's Tuscan Tuscan Owen Thomas and he's he's really doing well in the in the blockchain space actually he's working at one of the biggest companies and he's got a great job and he's very very valued there um but we were having this discussion around so he's gone that way and he's now built some nice stability he's um yeah he's, he's got some savings he's got some investments 
Um, but he's also getting deeper and deeper into that lifestyle, into into kind of you know we we're talking about loans, and that's the biggest thing. If you if you buy a car in credit, you buy a house in credit, you buy a couch in credit, you buy whatever nice thing in credit, and while you got a job, it doesn't matter. But it ties you into that lifestyle. Um, whereas I was saying on my side, like I like, and I was saying it's as an entrepreneur, I've struggled now for six years. Um, reinvesting every bit of capital into the into the business, um, growing it up, living on the bare minimum. But now I'm slowly, I'm, I'm still, I'm not, not, um, making a lot. But I'm, I'm now making money, and I don't want to spend anything. Mm-hmm. Um, because I'm like I'm used to this this lifestyle where I don't need to spend, um, and yeah, I mean time will tell which which is better, but. But it is a debate. I think that that's how I can lock you in. But I, I have also seen it from some of the fellows on on, on this Mandela Washington Fellowship when I went to America. Um, I, I was on the business track. And, and like I said before we started, there were 700 African leaders um, from 54 different countries and only 40 are from South Africa. I think about 200 of these leaders are on the business track. And when engaging with with a lot of these business leaders, a lot of them, some of them working for Unilever. Um, some of them are, yeah, they're working corporate jobs, but they've had the ability to rise above it and start businesses on the side. Mm-hmm. And, and I think one of the big benefits that if you can do that, it, 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 it allows, as long as you're a sharp businessman and people listen to you, it allows you to not get too involved in the nitty gritty in your business that can pull you down. It allows you to not watch the bottom line of your business too much because you know you have a bit of extra capital to to float through the hard times. You also aren't relying on on um, the actual income from your business to develop it. And one guy, um, he is from Zimbabwe, and yeah, he's working for Unilever, and he started a pig farm on the side. He's recently done that two years ago. And, I mean, Zimbabwe's got a lot of potential, but he was able to to build the pig farm on the side, to bring in professional services, to continue getting drawing his nice salary, and to develop the business on the side without getting too involved in worrying about the bottom line. Because that can really, I mean, I've had it where that can really just put you into a complete spin where you're just worrying about how are you going to make money to pay the bills, to pay your people, and then eventually to pay yourself? Mm-hmm. Whereas he's able to just look at the business factors. He's able to just analyze his business from the outside and bring in the right skills. And he's really developed the business in a really great way. He just sold a whole lot of pigs um, for a large sum of money. And now he's built a whole lot of machinery and he's reinvesting it. So, I mean, there, there are benefits to that side as well. Um, and, and that's a really good use case from that side. But I mean, there's a lot of good examples of entrepreneurs that cracked it straight out of out of university, you know. Mm-hmm. So it's not as simple as as comparing apples and and oranges. I mean, uh, it's it's totally it's different. But I think there's also elements to both. But but my key thing is, if you don't know, if if entrepreneurship's not one hundred percent what you want to do, I definitely recommend going to get a job and and working through something and just reinvesting in in other things, trying to keep your your monthly expenses low, reinvesting, saving, looking for opportunities, 
because pretty much every entrepreneur that I went to university with, I'm pretty much the only one left. There's myself and some other, Adam and Gabby started Woodlands, which is a world's first biodegradable cigarettes. But they also, they eight years in their business and they're relaunching again in Germany because the cigarette ban took them down in, in South Africa. So it's a long journey and you've got to be committed. Mm-hmm. You know? And I think a lot of people don't see that from the get-go. They see Steve Jobs, they see Elon Musk, they see this and, and they don't know the, the, the struggles that, that most people go through when starting a business, especially when you don't have capital. Mm-hmm. I would love to get back to the struggles a little bit later, but in the meantime, even though you don't have all the resources that you would love, you have inspired so many people. If I think about Spinach King, obviously you mentioned Boosie Honey, Culture Lab, all those companies that you've played a very big part in their development. Yeah, I mean that. Like I said, that's the that's the part that drives me. That's what I love. Like I'm sitting here with a big smile on my face because those are my friends. And those are those those a lot of those people have become my family because we built businesses together. Um, and those people have done amazing things for me as well. And I think that's where you see the beauty of of business here in South Africa, especially. We have such a culture, at least in in my realm of, of businesses helping each other and businesses working together. Um, because even, even though I haven't, I, well, I, I mean, I've had, I have helped to scale a lot of these businesses and get them the right opportunities, but not all of them have benefited me. Um, I've put a lot of people in touch with the right people that have instantly changed their businesses. And I think that's like the big thing that that ground culture is trying to do. We're definitely trying to create income streams for, for township-based entrepreneurs. And we, we definitely believe that we need to open the floodgates to, to get capital into to the informal economy. But that doesn't just happen from someone buying in an online store, us selling in a coffee shop, or us selling their products in, in retailers. That happens from meeting the right person that is impressed by your business, that can see a track record of success, and wants to get involved in the informal economy. Not just from a point of, and this is what we've got to get away from. It's Investing in the township is not just about, um, investing in the township is not just about doing the right thing. There's actually a big business model to it. And there's actually some amazing products there as well that have the potential to scale, not just in South Africa, not in Africa, but globally. And that's really what we're trying to push is we're trying to open the conversation. When we send our products to people's houses, when people order from us, they don't just get products, they get the full story behind the entrepreneurs. They get an understanding of where these guys have come from, where they are now. They get to try and taste the products. And by doing that, you're you're breaking the barrier down between someone living in the suburbs and someone living in the township. We've seen it so many times. Especially with Sikis, people buy his coffee, they taste it. They've never been to the township before. But after buying his coffee five times, now they want to go to Sikis in Kailicha. They want to go check his coffee shop. And that's an amazing thing for me as well, because that's breaking down the barriers that, that, that we just put up in South Africa. Because it's opening a conversation through a product, of a pro- through a product that's made in the township. Mm-hmm. Um, 
which breaks people's stereotypes towards the township instantly. And you, you, I've grown, I've been in a lot of these conversations where people think if it's coming from the township, it's a B grade product, it's a C grade product. It's, it's not for them. But breaking that stereotype is, is, in my opinion, the first way we, we break down the barriers um, in South Africa to open up a new conversation. Mm-hmm. I love the story that you've told of a city's um, coffee where people now want to go out into the townships. Don't you find that one of the big reasons why people don't go to the townships are they don't have a reason? to go there, so you give them a reason um, or through the services that you provide to these entrepreneurs and um, that could just have a major, major impact all over South Africa if more people have a reason to go and visit the townships. Yeah, I I definitely agree. I think that's the biggest thing holding us back um, is people don't have the reason. Uh, There's also the negative stigma that we just see in the news all the time. People killed, yeah, people killed the, 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 and, and while it is dangerous, it's not, it's not pretend like some areas in the township aren't dangerous. Um, there's so much magic to the township. Like it's, it's an unbelievably loving, caring, fun place. You know, you, you, you go and be welcomed with open arms. People in the township also are very, I mean, you'll get your bad apples, but, majority of the time when when you go to the township people welcome you with open arms because people are grateful that mm. that that you 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 you're going over the bridge you're trying something out people are like yes please come we're going to look after you when when you here because most people understand that you need capital to flow both ways you need people with money coming into a different side of the world you need people from different cultures coming to learn about other people's cultures because we're so used to learning about um, the formal sector culture mm. and other things. But very few times do we go to learn about um, African culture and, and not even African culture, but like township cultures. I mean, mm. it's totally different. You don't really even get township culture in the rest of Africa. <laughs> Townships are very specific to South Africa in a lot of senses. Um, and there's a whole melting pot of, of cultures that exist within townships that, that are different from rural areas completely because it's different people mixing together. Um, and I think focusing on, on the stories of entrepreneurs is one of the best ways to unlock that because people can people understand business and people understand products. And it's something that you can share. I mean, I'm talking about the magic of the township. I'm talking about like, well, I'd be talking about Chisanyamas on the side of the road and, you know, like um, people playing music from taxis and, you know, like clubs. And, but a lot of that stuff is quite far-fetched for, for a lot of more westernized minds. But when you're talking about a product like spinach bread, when you're talking about a product like coffee, like honey, chocolates, like rooibos, like, um, you know, we've got so many products, but like these products, it, it's normal. It's like, oh, wow, this comes from the township. Ah, I, I can relate to that. I can understand. Um, and I can understand his business journey because it's not, not that dissimilar from anyone else's. Mm-hmm. Well, lots and lots of energy there. But you've mentioned the struggles that you go through. And it sounds like it is a sort of 
on a constant basis you do have challenges what ways do you use to regroup and re-energize yourself and getting through those struggles yeah I've, I've been going through this now after returning from america it's been very interesting because i was free i was traveling for three weeks on my own i was walking around i was feeling super excited about life and i was ready and then i got back to cape town and it was straight back into work and people needed me for this and people needed me for that and suddenly you go from like zero percent work to 110 and that's there's no balance in that at all and, and it's caused quite a lot of anxiety so i've been going through these these how can i build balance and how can I bring myself back to all the thoughts that I was having in America and all the things I wrote down and all the things I wanted to do? Um, and, and I think a big part of that is what I always find a lot of, um, yeah, I find a lot of joy in and it would help me get through hard times is just writing, is journaling. I have on my computer, I have a thing called my morning pages, which is, I think it's like 200 pages long now. Um, and I just write my thoughts down there. Whatever, if it's bad, if it's good, um, it just slows your mind down. It stops your mind racing and it, it gets you just to, to focus on, on what's actually going on and brings yourself back to, to what you need to get done. Because like I said, you, when you're overwhelmed, sometimes you can find yourself going in circles. Um, and I find writing really pulls those circles smaller and smaller until you can actually focus on things. Mm-hmm. Um, another thing I think, as, especially as an entrepreneur, it's, it's, it's sometimes you can convince yourself that working hard is going to solve the, your answers. And, mm-hmm. and, and it can when there's work to do, but if there's not all that much to do, um, I think the best thing to do is to get out and start talking to your customers and start going to, um, I've been going to some network event, networking events since I've been back and talking to people and realizing people are going through similar challenges as you um, and connect and they want to understand and hearing other people's businesses and also getting other people to give comments on your businesses. Um, I think it's so important to talk to other people outside of your environment uh, outside of your business because that also refines your thinking um, I did a lot of that in America um, but it was so far outside you know people couldn't always relate uh-huh. so I kind of built these big ideas in my head and, and coming back now I'm trying to pull them off straight going into my my office and I'm trying to pull them off and then you you know you can get stuck in a circle because you still haven't gone and spoke to the people here in the country where you're trying to pull these ideas off um, and I think if you don't go and do that, you, you, you're going to get stuck in, in traps and in loops. And your ideas actually just aren't going to come to fruition because you need executing partners. And you need to talk to different people. You need to find out if these ideas actually are um, as good as you think they are in your head. Mm-hmm. Um, and the, yeah, the last thing, which, which my girlfriend has been laughing at me because I keep bringing it up, is... is is going surfing um, okay. be- <laughs> yeah, because sometimes just taking a break from everything, going for a trail run, going for a surf, um, it's just so important just to completely take your mind off, off everything and let your mind do whatever it wants to do. Um, because sometimes when you sit in a room and you try to work a problem away, 
it doesn't go away. You actually just sit there and you don't do much. But when you go for a surf, when you give yourself a break, you, you come back with a new perspective. And yeah, I think that's that's a, a, a key lesson is is whatever you find joy in, sometimes as the entrepreneur, you should just go find the joy rather than find the solution to the problem that you don't know the solution is. Mm-hmm. Um, but sitting in a room, sitting at a computer, it's, it's not going to help. No, no, I can relate to that very, very well. I've actually just written a blog yesterday after returning from the Otter hiking trail. And uh, yes. um, yeah, it does make a massive, massive difference if you just get yourself away from your computer. Yeah, yeah definitely. So in terms of family, do they play, still play a role in your business, in your thinking? Um. Yeah, I mean, definitely. My my mom is, uh, she's 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 is she's definitely the most involved family member. But I think that's just the mother's job as well, um, mm-hmm. as well as her being an inspiration. She she she's always looking out for me, and she's always yeah. But um, she's the the big reason I I I fell in love with the township. You know? mm. She was an inspiration to me. She was African Journalist of the Year. Um, wow. in 2000 um, and she was a yeah, TV presenter for SEBC3 no, well she presented the budget speech a few times but she's always just been like go to the township you can solve the problems she's been so pro um, the freedom the freedom nation she has just spoken that story forever so she's really my, my inspiration and what do you call it my north star in a way yeah. Um, but she's not necessarily the best um, business <laughs> business person. Um, she's a brilliant journalist. Um, but yeah, she, she's a good mom. So she tells me what to do from a business point of view. But that can drive her son crazy sometimes. And, and, and um, yeah, I think I'm, uh, the older I get, the more I'm starting to, to rely on family. My, my uncle, Mark, I've also just been um, reaching out to him more often. I think like family is the best, sometimes the best people to lean on because they know you better than anyone else. And they know your financial position, even though you don't want to always share it with them because you can be somewhat competitive. They can really um, help you out on that. And, and they're the, the, the best people to talk to. And then lastly, I, I, my girlfriend, Shelly, she is actually the operations manager of the business as well. So part of the reason it grew while I was away because she was definitely involved. Um, but I mean, we live together, we work together. She's a person I lean on more than more than anyone, and I think having that kind of support in your life uh, can really take you far. Because we've talked about the hard times, and those hard times are a lot easier when you've got someone great to lean on. Um, from a business point of view, and from a, a person of view, um, otherwise you will just work 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 your life away. I, when I've been single, that's and that's what I love to do, you know, it's just mm. work, 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 work. Um, but it can get exhausting. Um, and sometimes you need a, a fresh opinion and, and someone that really, really understands it. Even if you don't want it right at that moment. <laughs> and usually you don't. Uh, you know, <laughs> usually you want someone to affirm what you think is uh-huh. the right decision. And, and that's where the, the other person is, plays a vital role. Yep. You need that devil's advocate. Absolutely. But Sebastian, if you could start your business journey all over again, 
and you could change anything, what would that be? It's a great, a great question. Um, I think the thing that, that comes to mind is, um, is the business of, of year two. Um, and let's uh, go back to the question you asked in the start. Uh, do I still for carry it? I, I think in a lot of ways, I wish we'd never stopped it. I wish we'd never um, thrown the towel in. I mean, we, did, we do have a small shareholding company called Spoon Money, um, which is an amazing company, which year two morphed into. Um, we luckily made like some kind of an exit there, but yeah, I, I just like, I meet up with, with my former partner quite a lot and we talk about, we really want to start something again. Um, but we only did that business for two years and we were at university. So we didn't really do it at the level that I'm doing ground culture today, but I mean, the potential we had to grow then, um, the, the, the buy-in from the formal sector we had and um, the understanding of the township I have now done doing all these consulting jobs as well as building a business in, in, in a way that a township-based entrepreneur would build a business really on the edge. Um, obviously with the privileges, a lot of the privileges. Are, but yeah, I would, I would love to, to have stuck it through and, and continue that journey because I think two years is too short. I'm on five and a half years now with this business. Um, and I still kind of feel like I'm, I've got a bigger foundation than that business did, but I'm, I'm still reaching for, I still don't have the scalable element that it did. And I think there's still so much potential in that market to, to, to unlock value, um, and to unlock long-term growth and to, to collectively invest in businesses in the township with township-based capital mm-hmm. to invest in retailers, to build malls, to build um, whatever it is, but with informal informal finance. Um, and, and, and the best thing about formalization, and I didn't really talk too much about this, but the best thing about formalization, especially something like, like stock file money or yeah, or property finance in the township is once you formalize that and once you've got a track record of it, the formal sector loves to give money to, to things of the track record and it's got a lot of money to give. And that's our big, that's what really separates South Africa from the rest of Africa is we've got this beast of a formal sector and we've got these big problems and we've got this big informal sector. Um, and when you can find problems, the the resourcefulness of the informal sector and the, the capital and and um, kind of financial instruments of our formal sector here is just so much potential for growth. But it it really starts in in understanding the informal economy and understanding um, the perceptions of people on the ground. Um, so I'd love to if I would have changed something, I think I would have continued with that and really struggled through it because. We had investment offers on the table. We had, um, we had launched and our launch had failed. But the amount of times I've failed now and persevered forward mm-hmm. makes me really think like, why did we, we didn't give up after one failure, but we still wanted to see the world. We still mm-hmm. thought there was a lot more out there. Um, and we still will launch something in that space again. But the older you get, the slightly more complicated it gets as well. I mean, I'm still 29, so I'm not uh-huh. old, but, <laughs> but, but life does get a little bit more complicated and, and your confidence weirdly gets a little bit more affected. But it's kind of knowledge and knowledge, confidence and what's the other thing. And like 
just wanting to shoot for the stars and, and mm. knowledge. And I feel like they have an inverse relationship or wisdom in shooting for the stars in a weird way. Because when you're naive, you're like, I got it. We're going to be billionaires. When you get older, you start being like, it's a lot harder than <laughs> you think it is. And so, yeah, I wish I had that naivety in a way. But speaking of thinking that you're going to be a billionaire, don't you find that the problem with people that you're trying to help, that they see going into business as a way of getting instantly rich? Yeah, yeah, that's, that's, yeah, I, I, I do, I do think so. I do think that's a problem. Um, because even the perception of, of myself, when people see it on Instagram or they see it on, on LinkedIn or whatever I share, you know, people are always coming up to me being like, wow, you do such amazing stuff. And like, people have the perception that you're super wealthy all of a sudden. They, uh -huh. they, they don't. And because we have these success stories of, of these insanely wealthy people, people, the general person that's not an entrepreneur doesn't understand the real toughness of, of entrepreneurship and how cash is often locked away and reinvested and it's not coming out anytime soon. Um, and I think, yeah, I think that, that kind of perception makes it even harder for, for an entrepreneur, especially from the confidence point of view. Mm. I think it's hard when you, you're struggling and yes, you're growing and yes, I've, I've had success and yes, I'm proud of, of what I've built, but it's difficult when you're going through a hard day and you're struggling and you're trying to figure, when I say struggling, I'm more mean just in your mind mm -hmm. and people come up to you and they're like, wow, you must be doing so well. Like, da, 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 da. And you kind of got to fake it a bit. You got to be like, yeah, yeah, it's great. <laughs> and it, but it's, it's tough in a way. I mean, it helps in, in other ways. You're like, yeah, cool pump yourself up a bit but it's also tough to kind of especially like in the darkest days maybe two years ago just as it started the coffee shop again uh -huh. uh, people would be like wow you got a coffee shop you had that online store you took Rachel Kelly to Kylie you went Forbes like you are rocking it my bro yeah and you're like yeah yeah I'm doing great and you kind of yeah it's it's tough to to fake it through those those times because people see you in forbes and they think oh this guy's made it uh -huh. and he must be a millionaire and you're like no not there yet. Uh, uh, you've mentioned confidence a couple of times and when i see you and you sort of talked about it now when i see you on the videos and wherever and in forbes it doesn't look like you've got a confidence problem at any point in time. Yeah, I think I think this is this is my like I I, I I've never thought of myself as having a confidence thing. It's been something coming in America and a lot of kind of comparing myself to these other amazing African people and, and kind of thinking I had the first time to reflect over the past five to ten years and what's all happened. And I think a big part of confidence, and I spoke about it earlier, is like I didn't, I, I've been at my desk. I've been on my own building this whole thing without really going outside and talking to people. Um, whereas when I did that previously with year two and even with um, the online store initially and when I was um, going door to door selling the products, I was so out and engaged with people and telling people what I was doing and refining my pitch and and getting feedback and and getting a lot of affirmation but 
since kind of then I've been very much literally building the shop with and keeping quiet, wanting to build something that's that I can be proud of. And I think that's almost take, given me a confidence knock in a way. And mm. um, you would think it's the opposite way around, but mm. I haven't been out there, haven't been telling people what I'm doing, I haven't been seeking feedback, I haven't been um, actually driving to, to push things in a way. I've, I've been so focused on, on one thing and building that thing strong so it can support the rest that I've kind of had blinkers on. So mm-hmm. you create your own perceptions of what other people are thinking. You, 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 you build that. And, and that's kind of, um, yeah, actually allowed my confidence to, to depreciate in a way. Just, it, it, and it seems counterintuitive. But mm-hmm. the more you're out there, the, because you, you build your own feedback on your ideas, you make your own assumptions. But the more, the, the, the more you're out there, the more you're talking to, to people, you're testing those ideas. Maybe your ideas are wrong and, mm-hmm. and they fall away. That's fine. Then you come up with another idea or, or you build on that idea and you, you adapt it and you test it again. And eventually you start getting closer and closer to, to something. And that intrinsically builds your confidence. Mm. Whereas when you're stuck at your desk or you're building or you whatever, it, 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 you start doubting your own ideas because you have so many in your head. Mm-hmm. That you don't know which one to pick, um, and I think yeah, that that's a big lesson that I've really tried to teach myself coming back is, I need to get out there, I need to talk to people. I've got a lot of great ideas. I've got a lot of, I've got the foundations now. I've got, um, I've got um, corporate clients. Corporate gifting is a big thing we do, and we that's really where we want to grow. We do amazing staff gift bundles, and we do amazing client gift bundles. Um, but I'm not going to su- succeed by doing that in a room, mm-hmm. by messaging people purely on LinkedIn. I need to get out there. I need to go to networking events. I need to talk to people. I need to share my story um, because it's about the entrepreneurs in the township. And I can't convince people of that sitting in an office, mm-hmm. building, a, a, building a table. It's, it's, it's not the same level. It's, it's getting out there, refining or pitching, refining, building, build, measure, learn, which is the cycle from the lean startup. Mm. It's very much around that. You, you, you got to measure and you got to learn. You mm. can't just build. Mm. Speaking of building, what would be your metaphorical mountain that you still want to climb within the next three to five years? Metaphorical mountain. Yes, what, what? not not the table mountain that you run out on the trail <laughs> once. Where would your big goals, big aspirations lie hmm. in future? So I have a, with with ground culture. I've got a, a a big dream is to is to really find entrepreneurs with great products. It's it's a big challenge in itself. It's really not as easy as you think. Um, so that's step one. I'd love to find in five years, I'd love to be working with two to 500 entrepreneurs. Um, and of those two to 500, I'd love to have scaled 20, um, 200 times. So taking their businesses, their small products, scaled them completely through our subscription models, corporate gifting, whatever our channels are, as well as getting them to spas and retailers and whatever. So I'd say 20 to 30 mm-hmm. um, have scaled 
um, massively. I'd say I, I like fifty to hundred must have ten times, but but twenty to thirty I'd like to have almost hundred times, um, and actually invested in in ten of them. So I'd love to start a venture capital firm with people's money and invest in these early stage entrepreneurs. Um, it could. I'm considering doing it through a nonprofit model. Um, mm -hmm. So they can continuously reinvest and develop entrepreneurs in the township and all the, pro the, the money comes back. Or starting a nonprofit wing that purely just develops the entrepreneurs and raises funding to develop and keeps the venture capital side as a, as a venture capital piece mm -hmm. that actually invests in, in the successful ones. And I think there's really an amazing model for finding developing, unlocking the value and reinvesting in successful entrepreneurs. And I'd love to create a platform that identifies, like I said, identifies, uh, develops, grows and scales and reinvests in successful mm -hmm. ones because that's the only way we're going to unite South Africa mm -hmm. is by building, developing businesses in rural a rural and township areas in South Africa, mm -hmm. building new cities, building new identities. We can't have our towns crumbling like they are. We need to be finding products in those towns, finding resources in those towns, developing products, and um, we're using farming. We've got mm -hmm. a, like pretty good mining apart from Transnet and whatever, but uh -huh. we need to be processing our, our products ourselves, um, and we need to be processing them in areas close to where they're made. Um, so that those people there can can benefit, um, and can develop the the GDPs of their of their towns, um, and like I said, we've got amazing people in in the township and in the informal economy with amazing ideas, amazing products, and amazing hustlers, um, and we've got an amazing formal sector, um, which is futuristic, first world, has a lot of capital, knows a lot about business, competes internationally. Uh, we're just not pairing those two properly. And, and I believe I can build a bridge that pairs those beautifully and, 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 and develop and generates nice returns for the formal sector, but builds businesses, entrepreneurs, factories, and employs people in communities where it's needed most. Well, if I listen to all your energy and about business in South Africa, it doesn't sound like you are planning to immigrate anytime soon. No, no, not at all. No, I mean, I'm still, I love South Africa, but I love Africa as well. So I think if I had to immigrate anywhere, it would be somewhere within Africa to, to unlock the value there. But I, like I said, on foundations, I want to build my foundations here first. Mm. Um, because my foundations are also not just for me. And for all the people that I want to work with, that I believe in, in informal economies and also informal economies. I love suburban-based entrepreneurs as well. They've got a lot of good stuff as well uh, that, that can also be sold across Africa and across the world. Um, so build the foundations here but, but immigrate within Africa and at some point maybe also go overseas to build export markets um, for South African entrepreneurs and businesses because I'm all about South Africa and I'm all about Africa. So whatever I dedicate my life to developing this continent. You know? Wow. Wow. And then eventually when you're fifty you're gonna write that amazing book. Yeah. Or will it be before fifty? By the sounds of sure. it it sounds like it's gonna be at fifty. 
<laughs> no, I have to. I have to see on that one. I think I had a dream last night. I read a book weirdly. Um, but I think it was about the township. Um, but but yeah, potentially. But yeah, I I just am more excited to see if we can build this road than than anything more. You know, I want I want to start looking forward, and it's been great to talk to you to to kind of be challenged on that three to five year metaphorical mountain question um, because that's really where I want to be focusing at the moment. Um, I think one place I fall short is I really have a vision for the future of this country um, and a future of the, the, of the continent, but it's a long way off from where I am now. Um, and looking three to five years in the future really um, allows that dream to, to materialize because that's, that's where it's, that's not where it starts, it starts today, but but that's about as far as, as we can look ahead um, in terms of where I am now.